Amen. Please take your seat. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Thank you, praise and worship team. What wonderful worship week in and week out. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17. And we'll be reading through Ephesians 5, verse 5. I have the New American Standard here. So we're continuing in Saved by Grace, this series from Ephesians. Here's what the Word of God says. Paul speaking. So this I say... And affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth." Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, on your wrath. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Thus ends the word of God for today. The joy of a new life in Christ. The joy of a new life in Christ. Just about a month ago, April 20th, 2018, world famous musical superstar by the stage name DJ, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Avicii. His real name is Tim Bergling. He's Swedish. But this world famous music superstar committed suicide. I know that many of you wouldn't know who he is, but among young people, he had quite a following. He, um, he was a mixer and record producer, and he seemed to have it all. He was at the top of his game, and he was making millions of dollars. He seemed to have what all young people today dream of having, and that is fame and money. His family described him, and here's a direct quote after his death. They described him as a seeker, 
a fragile artistic soul searching for answers to existential questions, end quote. And he killed himself by cutting himself with glass at age 28. Had it all. He was already suffering from pancreatitis brought on by his heavy drinking and apparently some drug use. But fame and the associated lifestyle took its toll, and he committed suicide with broken glass, and his short life was ended. Sadly, this has become all too familiar with people in the Hollywood crowd, the Hollywood set, the entertainment industry. Just about a year earlier ago, May 18th, 2017, another guy, I know many of you senior adults wouldn't know him, but his name is Chris Cornell. He was the front man for a group called Soundgarden, and he died by suicide as well, by hanging. He hung himself. Soon after that, his friend, Chester Bennington, who was another singer and songwriter of some note among younger people, he committed suicide on July 20th, 2017. You see, that was the birthday for Chris Cornell, and he was so distraught over his friend's death that Chris Chester Bennington committed suicide on what would have been his friend's birthday. He also struggled with drug and alcohol addiction. Now, I've mentioned some names, DJ Avicii and Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington, which those of you from my generation may not know, but i tell you some names you do know. Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. Why does this narrative of success and popularity and fame and wealth and drug abuse and suicide continue to play itself out decade after decade after decade? Baby boomers, you all remember the drug-related deaths of 60 rock of the 1960s rock icons, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison, all of whom died of drug-related causes by the age of 27, all within about a year of each other between 1969 and 1970. Jimi Hendrix, what a fab... I, 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 I take guitar lessons every Thursday night. And this church 11 years ago gave me a Fender Stratocaster. I was given, and I still play it all the time. And I'm learning a Jimi Hendrix song right now. I know that's odd for a Baptist preacher to say, but I'm actually working on the song called The Wind Cries Mary, which is actually an awesome guitar song. But when you listen to Jimi Hendrix, he was so incredibly talented and so gifted, played a Strat, Strat, Stratocaster left-handed. He had it strung upside down. And, he was so gifted and yet threw his life away with drugs and alcohol abuse. Janis Joplin, Jim Morris, all this talent just thrown away. And a year before they died, the original guitarist for the Rolling Stones, Brian Jones, died at age 27. Uh, the coroner called it death by misadventure. Apparently he was drunk or stoned and fell into a pool and drowned himself to death. The original guitarist for the Rolling Stones. It plays out over and over and over again. Fame and wealth and power. And sex never, ever, ever deliver the promised hope and peace which people think they're going to find. Elvis Presley, who died addicted to prescription drugs, not long before he died, Priscilla Presley said he wrote her a note saying this, I'm sick and tired of my life and I need a long rest. That's the king of rock and roll. I'm sick and tired of my life. The prince of pop, Michael Jackson, died of drug-related causes. And Prince did too. At least the artist formerly known as Prince did too. David Cassidy, the 1970s teen heartthrob. Some of you ladies here who are sophisticated grandmothers today had David Cassidy on your locker uh, in junior high. And David Cassidy, 
The teen heartthrob struggled with drugs and alcohol for years, and he died of liver failure at far too early. According to his daughter, his last words were, quote, so much wasted time. The last words of David Cassidy, so much wasted time. Drugs and alcohol and sex, it never pays off. Avicii's family, this DJ Avicii who died, said he struggled with thoughts about meaning and life and happiness. These, these issues of meaning, life, and happiness are all things we struggle with down on the inside. These are the same things that Elvis and Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison and Michael Jackson and Prince and on and on and on. The same thing they all wrestled with. And the answer to these questions is not found in sex and drugs and rock and roll. The answer to these questions is found in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Each of us has a hole down in our heart, down in our soul, and we try to stuff all sorts of things into it to, to fill that emptiness, and we stick all this pleasure and sex and drugs and, and pay, fame and popularity and power, and we try to stuff all that down inside there, and it never satisfies because that, that hole down in the middle of us was designed to be filled by a relationship with God himself. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and through 5, verse 5, Paul describes the joy which comes through the purity of a new life in Christ. Last week, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, we talked about unity in the church. And this week, Paul now moves to a different issue, and it's about purity in the church. He moves to from kind of organizational unity to ethical purity in our individual lives. And what he's talking about is a new life, the joy of a new life. And I know I'm talking to some weary and exhausted people here this morning. Some of you have been chasing the American dream and you've been chasing power and success and career and education and you've tried everything imaginable to fill the, fill the hole down inside your heart. And this morning we're going to talk about the joy of a new life in Christ and we're going to talk about an old life to leave, a new Lord to serve, and a new life to live. An old life to leave, a new Lord to serve, and a new life to live. First of all, Paul describes an old life to leave. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19, it's short and terse. In the Greek, it's almost like bullet points on a PowerPoint slide. It's really, it's uh, uh, over and over again, these terse, uh, almost uh, forthright and, and in-your-face sort of statements about life outside of faith in Christ. The trajectory of these verses present a progression of thought from the unbeliever's inner thinking and moral disposition to the effects of everyday life. So I want you to just follow what happens here in verses 17 through 19. Paul starts with the thought life and what's going on intellectually in our mind, and it plays itself out in actions and morals and ethics on a daily basis. So here it is, Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. First of all, there's futility in thinking. Look at verse 17. Notice what it says. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the, here is the phrase, futility of their mind. Let's talk about that word 
futility. The word futility that Paul uses there, almost certainly the background for that word is the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, just to, so I can get a little situational awareness as, as a preacher. How many of you have read the book of Ecclesiastes, if you've read it? Okay, some of you have not. It's, if you, I encourage you to go read it this afternoon. It is a story of a man's quest for meaning in life. And some of you who've read it know that there's a phrase that repeats itself over and over in the book. It's vanity of what? Vanity of vanity of vanities. Futility of futilities. That's the background for this word right here when Paul says the futility of their mind. Without getting into all the detail, what he's, he's borrowing this idea from Solomon in Ecclesiastes that you can trace all, chase all the drugs and money and sex and pleasure that you want, and it all turns out to be futility of futility, vanity of vanities. But he doesn't just say futility. He says futility of their what? Of their futility of the mind. And here, the word mind means the psychological faculty of understanding, reasoning, thinking, deciding. It really refers to someone's intellectual capacity. Here's the point. Sin not only affects the body, sin distorts our ability to think right. If I can put it in plain English, sin will make you stupid. When... When one is unbelieving and rejects God and his son and God's moral standards, you will suffer the consequences of having lost touch with reality. In fact, your life becomes driven by what Zig Ziglar called stinking thinking. You can't even think right. The thought life is a preview of coming attractions. When you go to the movie and you watch a film, they spend about 30 minutes, it seems, showing you previews of other movies. And the idea is that by watching this preview, you'll come spend another $80 at the theater, right? Because that's about how much it costs today. But they're showing you all these movies, and the idea is this is what will be displayed on this screen later. This is a preview of coming attractions. Your thought life is a preview of coming moral attractions. What you are thinking about and focusing on today is how you will be acting tomorrow. And Paul says that for the unbeliever, there's a futility of the mind. The intellectual capacity gets stunted, and they can't even think straight. The thought life is a preview of coming attractions. And that really leads to not only this futility of thinking, but intellectual absurdity. Look at verse 18. It says, being darkened in their understanding. The word understanding here carries the idea, again, of intellectual capacity to discern the appropriate course of action. It is the core of someone's moral perception. And Paul says, outside of Christ, in the futility of the mind, it's dark. It's dark. The light is turned off and you can't think right. Because when you're in the dark, you do things in the dark you wouldn't do in the light. And Paul describes the, uh, an, there's an old life to leave. And right now, someone has had futility of thinking for years. And your mind has been darkened and you need Jesus Christ to turn on the light. Because when you're in the dark, you do really, really foolish things. 1992, I was attending Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. The school is actually located on the original campus of Wake Forest University. 
And one evening, a friend of mine named Wendell Stokes, I was about 23 or 24, and Wendell was about 10 years older than me. He'd been a chicken farmer in Alabama, got called to preach. And we'd been helping this guy move into a dorm room, a single guy. We got done with that. We walked down, and out on the street, we ran into another student named Randy Bronner, who had his brother David with him. They're from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And they were there, and Randy had just purchased this little four-wheel drive vehicle called a Dihatsu Rocky. It's a little mini four-wheel drive. And he wanted to take us for a ride. We just happened to run into him. So, okay, so we climbed in the back of this little Dihatsu, and suddenly Randy said, I want to go four-wheeling. Now, down below Wake Forest, uh, the seminary there in Wake Forest is Wake Forest High School. Down below, that's a pretty good-sized creek, and there's an old service road that runs beside that creek with some sewage lines down there. And so Randy goes tearing off down through there in his Dihatsu Rocky, and we're going down this, and it's dark. It's 9 o'clock, and it's already dark. And he goes tearing down this road in his Dahatsu Rocky, going to show us how he can go forward with him. Brand new. Hasn't made the first payment yet. And he goes down this road in the dark, and he doesn't really know what he's doing, and he doesn't know to stay out of the ruts, especially when you have a small vehicle that's not set up real high. And guess what? The frame gets stuck in the mud, right? Stuck in the mud, stuck in the mud, got your truck, got your truck, stuck in the mud. That's a country rap song right there. So we got out. So I, and Randy said, something's wrong. Something's broke. He's, I said, nothing's broke. You're stuck. He said, it's four-wheel drive. You can't get a four-wheel drive truck. I said, you just did. I promise you. And so Wendell, Wendell's wife, Brenda, is a sweet Christian lady. Now, when all of us in seminary is poor as, poor as a church mouse, and they had scraped together some money to buy him some new tennis shoes, which he had on. And he said, my wife will kill me if I get these shoes muddy. He said, I'll take it. He got out in his sock feet, and I got out, and we're underneath the back of that truck trying to pull mud out from underneath the frame with our bare hands and sticks we found out there by this old service road. And we're out there digging in the mud, digging in the mud, and these two brothers are jaw-jacking all this st sort of stuff. Now... Randy's brother David claimed to be a motivational speaker. Played a little bit of college football. Went by the nickname Mad Dog. And so after we'd been out there about an hour trying, with our bare hands in the mud trying to dig. You know why we're out there in our bare hands in the mud trying to dig that truck out? Because you do dumb things in the dark. That's why it's dark. You do dumb things in the dark. And so finally, David climbs up on the hood of the truck and says, I, I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. He said, I quote, I'm going to tell you all some motivational stories while you're digging this truck out. And I stuck my head out from behind the rear, view of the rear wheel of that tire, and I said, David Bonner, I don't want to hear a motivational story. I, I pointed a mud-caked finger at him and said, I want you down in the mud now. That's my motivational story. And so it's finally, it's 10 to 1030. We've been down there an hour, an hour and a half. We cannot get the truck dug out. And so finally I said, we're not going to get out of here. And David had the temerity to say, well, somebody will be along here after a while. I said, nobody's coming by here. We're the only idiots down here because you do dumb things in the dark. And so we're down there in the mud. And I said, well, I would walk out of here, this swamp we're in down here by the creek. But I'm real allergic to poison ivy and I've got my pant, uh, shorts on. And I didn't want to get poison ivy on my legs. And I heard a zip. And David, uh, Randy Bonner said, here's my pants. You can wear them. And he pulled his pants off and handed them to me. And Wendell said, well, I'd walk out with you. But Brenda will kill me if I get those new shoes dirty. And David said, here's my shoes. You can wear mine. And so David and Randy were sitting on the hood of the truck while Wendell and I walked out 
to go get some help. And so here's a guy sitting in his DVDs on the hood of a Dahatsu Rocky with his barefoot brother at 11 o'clock at night in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Why? Because you do really dumb things in the dark. That's why. <laughs> dumb things happen in the dark. So I walked out of that swamp with Wendell and finally we got up to my, it's about midnight, I got to my duplex where we lived at. And Lisa turned on the front porch light when I knocked on the door and she opened the door and flipped on the front porch light and there Wendell and I were caked in mud. And you ever notice that when you've done really dumb things, you still try to act cool, right? You notice that? And I looked at her very calmly. I said, baby, I need the keys to the Volkswagen. <laughs> Why? Because I'm trying to act cool. I'm caked in mud. What's the point of that whole story? You do really, really dumb things in the dark. Paul says, outside of Christ, your mind is futility and you're thinking in the darkness. You see it right there in verse 18? Read it again. Notice what he says. Being darkened in their understanding. Outside of Christ, in the dark, you'll start saying things you think are intelligent and they are completely foolish. Excluded from the life of God. Ignorance, hardness of heart is what it says right here. And at the end of verse 18, when it says hardness of heart, F.F. Bruce defines hardness of heart as the progressive inability of the conscience to convict them of wrongdoing. Your conscience stops working. It just, you, you think everything's okay. Well, everybody else does. It must be all right. All of this is demonstrated most obviously in one's sexual ethics. Notice what it says sensuality, impurity. Greediness is really about coveting someone else's wife, the, as in the 10th commandment. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. In the dark, when you're thinking in the dark, there's an old life to leave. Meaningless, purposelessness, and it never leads to joy. It never leads to peace. It never leads to victory. There is an old life to leave. And when you're, you're in the dark, you'll start saying things you think are intelligent, and they are foolish. You'll say things like, well... I know that's a human life, but it's not a person. It doesn't matter what you do to it unless it's a person, right? You'll say things like, well, gender is just a social construction, right? You'll say things like, well, gambling, playing the lottery, that's how I'm going to get out of poverty. That's a great plan. A couple of weeks back, we're out on the streets witnessing here, and me and a couple of guys from this church out witnessing, a guy is homeless telling us how he makes money gambling. And we're like, man, dude, wake up. You're not making money gambling. You're homeless. You're broke. Why is he saying those things? Futility of the mind. You're walking in the dark. You'll say all sorts of things you think are intelligent. You'll say things like, well, you know, I know there's a billion stars out there. And this planet sure looks designed. And it looks like it was made intelligently. But to be really smart, you have to understand none of this was designed. You'll say all sorts of things in the darkness. There is an old life to leave. Let me ask you, what has this world ever given you? They have lied to you. And listen, in the darkness of futile thinking, you won't only believe the world's lies. You'll start believing your own lies. Or, yeah, that relationship I had with all those women or all those men, I wasn't really taking advantage of them. They all were, it was all consensual. You'll start believing your own lies. You'll lie to yourself, you'll lie to others, and you start believing your own press clippings. It is, listen, what has the world ever given you but lies? What has Satan ever given you but lies and unfulfilled promises? There is an old life to leave right now in Hawaii. That Kilauea volcano is erupting. Have you seen this? It's uh, fascinating. Now, I know I shouldn't 
derive entertainment from watching someone else's home being covered by lava, but it's really entertaining to this lava man comes, and it's hard, and I didn't realize that. They say about 24 homes have been covered by lava right there. Do you know why those homes got covered by lava? Do you know why? Because they built next to a, a volcano. That's why. Because they built next to a volcano. Now, somebody had to be the first one to do it. And sooner or later, there had to be five or six homes, and somebody else came along and said, well, look, there's six or seven people already built a house here. Must be a good idea. I'll build my house here, too. It's not a good idea. There's a, there's a Kilauea volcano that's been erupting for 200 years right next door. Okay, listen, when the lava's coming down the mountainside, the... The emergency personnel from the state of Hawaii were going around. You know what they were saying? You need to get out. You need to move. Can you imagine somebody sitting on the front porch watching their, their, on their rocking chair and just saying, well, look, here comes that lava. Oh, I'll be doggone. Would you look at that? You know, it feels kind of warm. I want, it's got a nice glow and ambience to it. I think I'm just going to sit here and watch this. No, you need to get out. Listen, when you're walking in the darkness of this world, your moral life becomes the equivalent of an ethical, hey, y'all, watch this on a daily basis. And it never ends well. You need to get out. It is time to get out. You've got an old life to leave. What has it given you? But pain and heartache and loneliness and anxiety and sooner or later, death and hell. There's an old life to leave. Now, that's a good time to say amen. I, I, I need help. I, thank you for your support. But it's, there's an old life to leave. There's a new Lord to serve. Well, that's the bad news. Here's the good news. Death is coming. Hell is moving. But there's, a, there's an old life to leave. It's time to get out. And, but it's time to get out and run to Jesus. There is a new Lord to serve. Look at verses 20 and 21. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. What is that truth? That you and I are sinners, that we cannot save ourselves, that we need God's grace, we need to trust him through faith, that Jesus died as our substitute, that he rose bodily from the grave, he ascended to the Father, he intercedes right now for those of us who believe in him, and someday he's coming back. Listen, the truth is in Jesus. The world's told you all sorts of lies. The truth is in Jesus Christ. But there's something interesting that happens here. There is some uh, powerful terminology, but I want to point out something to you. He's about to talk about changing clothes. You change the old, the clothes of the old life for the clothes of the new life. But did you notice something that happens in life? Even when people know that their life is a wreck, they try the incorrect and the wrong ways to solve those problems. They don't run to Jesus. They run to everything else. I read an article from the San Francisco Chronicle recently. That should prepare you for what comes next. But read this from the San Francisco Chronicle recently. It had an article about the practice of, and I'm not making this up. Truth is always stranger than fiction. Deep forest bathing. Deep forest bathing. You say, what is deep forest bathing? I'm so glad you asked. It is a practice where people walk through the forest very slowly, like six steps a minute. And you look at everything around you, you absorb everything around you, and you think about what you're observing. Deep forest bathing. And the article described the man Amos Clifford, who is the leader of the deep forest bathing trips for which he charges $50 an hour. Some of you high school graduates, I got a suggestion for you. Go cut his price. Do it for $25 an hour. I mean, just people pay for it. 
Call it Baptist deep forest breathing. Find some green beans in there somewhere, right? But anyway, it's... And he charges $3,400 to train forest bathing leaders so you can be a certified forest bathing leader. Man, I'll do it for half of that right now, right? I can teach you how to... I'll certify you. But here's the interesting thing. Clifford leads people on a deep forest bathing trip. But he admitted, I am quoting from the San Francisco Chronicle. He admitted that he, quote, wasn't exactly sure what poison oak looks like. (laughs) But he's leading you on a deep forest bathing trip. And then at the end of the hour walking through the forest, you're supposed to collect leaves and things. And he makes a tea out of the different leaves you make. But remember, he doesn't know what poison oak looks like. You have no idea. You've got a concoction. You have no idea what you're drinking. And at one point, he asked people to find a tree. He said, I want everybody to find a tree that's your twin. Talk to your tree. Ask your tree about yourself. Find out all you can from your tree. The truth is not in deep forest bathing. The truth is in the tree of the cross of Jesus Christ where your sin debt was paid. The truth is in Jesus. Man, there are two recent top songs in America were by the hip-hop artist Drake. I'm still listening to Merle Haggard, so I don't listen to a lot of Drake. But two of these songs made number one in America. One was called Nice For What, and by the content of the song, I'll tell you, not much. But Nice For What, and the second song was called God's Plan. These songs are vulgar and egotistical lyrics. And half the things in there are indecipherable. I have no idea what he's saying except for the profanity. He's always very clear in his use of them. And this is what Hollywood and hip-hop and Nashville are, are trying to tell you. They're not telling you the truth. The truth is in Jesus. Listen, you've got an old life to leave. You've got a new Lord to serve. Notice what it says in verse 22. Would you look there? That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Would you circle that word, lay aside? That word in Greek was used elsewhere to refer to changing clothes. Changing clothes. And then would you look at verse 24, and you've put on the new self. This is, again, changing clothes language. When I was in the Army, I joined the Army, and I had to put on a uniform. And when I put on that uniform, it signified I was no longer a civilian. I had a new commanding officer, and I, I had joined up with a new Army. I had changed my clothes. And the change of clothes represented a new change in loyalty. Listen, you need to change some clothes. There's an old life to leave. You need to lay off the garments and the rags of futility and dark thinking and put on the light of the gospel. You need to lay aside the clothing of defeat and put on the robe of victory in Jesus. Some of you need to get dressed up this morning. You're wearing some old rags. You came into church. You may look good and you may smell good, but on the inside, it's rags and you know it. Listen, change some clothes today. You've got a new Lord to serve. Let Jesus take off those rags that the devil has clothed you in long enough. Let him take off those tattered garments the world has given you. Let you be all dressed up in white in the holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ that he puts into your life. Man, you got a new Lord to serve. There's a new Lord to serve. There's an old life to leave and there's a new Lord to serve and you'll be all dressed up in Jesus. My word, there's an old life to leave. There's a new Lord to serve. There's a new life to live. I'm not going to touch on all these verses. I just want to say a few things. Verses 25 through 5-5. Notice several things that happen. This new life to live. The, the life you've been looking for, here's what it looks like. 
Laying aside falsehood. You stop lying to yourself. You stop lying to others. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not the sun go down on your wrath. When I was a, uh, my girls were little, one of the greatest joys in my life is I would come into the house and they would hear the car pull up. And as I was standing in the garage, I could hear the patter of little feet and I could hear little voices. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. And they were so excited. Some of you dads remember that? Now only the dog greets me. God bless the dog, right? But anyway, but so you remember that little children running to the door? They couldn't wait. Because daddy's home. But for some homes, when daddy pulls up, the children don't run to the door. They run and hide. Why? Because daddy's a rageaholic. Listen, there's a new life to live. Your family doesn't have to be ruled by anger and wrath and violence. Your family can have the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the chaos you've been living in. Listen, he calmed the storm. He calmed the waves. I don't know what's happening in your house right now, but Jesus Christ is Lord and he can calm it. There's a new life to live. You don't have to live in defeat anymore. You can live in victory. There's a new life to live. But notice this. There's even more. Look at verse 32, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I want to talk about it more when we talk about marriage. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. God takes away bitterness and anger and he gives you a forgiving spirit. Then look at verses uh, 4. It says, there must be no filthiness or silly talk. He changes your speech. First thing that happened to me when my life got right with the Lord is I quit cussing. No filthiness, no silly talk, no coarse jesting. We, we don't talk like the world anymore. We don't act like the world. We've got a new speech. We speak the language of Zion. And you discover the life that God always intended for you to have. And your sexual ethics change. Your, uh, your, your work ethic changes. Look at verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he, is, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. And so instead of being a, a lazy daddy that doesn't take care of his family, transforms you into a responsible man that takes care of his family and puts his family first and knows that putting food on the table comes before another six-pack of beer and knows that putting milk in the refrigerator is more important than having another Harley Davidson. And all. It ch- Life changes. Why? You get the joy of Jesus and you discover in the life that Jesus Christ has you discover there's a new life to live you're like I didn't know it could be this way I thought this was all fiction I thought it was just a story somebody told me and I discovered it's true it's true it's true in Jesus Christ it's true he changes people and someone may have told you that there's no hope for you that your life is hopeless I'm telling you they don't know my Jesus he paid my sin debt he defeated the devil he defeated death hell and the grave I'm telling you there's nothing in your life that he can't defeat he's a mighty savior the Lord Jesus Christ there's a new life to live it's better than you ever imagined there's an old life to leave there's a new Lord to serve there's a new life to live I bring all this together with this story perhaps no one epitomized the darkened understanding of the world than Steve McQueen Hollywood icon Star of the famous movies like The Magnificent Seven, The Great Escape, Bullet, greatest car chase scene in history. McQueen was famous for his egotistical, self-centered drugs and rock and roll-fueled, alcohol-fueled lifestyle. His abusive relationships, his unrestrained promiscuity. Was a pretty good race car driver in his own right. Well, by the late 1970s, McQueen was nearing 50 and he took up flying lessons from a man named Sammy Mason who was a real deal Christian and a man's man. Mason was a strong Christian and McQueen started going to church 
with Sammy Mason. And he started listening to the gospel and he started talking to Sammy Mason about this faith in Christ and what it was like. And Sammy Mason invited Steve McQueen to his church. And Steve McQueen was sitting in the balcony at the church in California listening to evangelical pastor, Pastor Leonard DeWitt. And so Leonard DeWitt got a call from Steve McQueen and said, I want to meet with you. And so he took Steve McQueen to lunch, and McQueen spent about two hours peppering him with questions about the gospel. And finally, DeWitt says, we've talked about all these questions, started talking to him about his spiritual life. And McQueen finally just confessed, listen, a couple of weeks ago, when you lead those people in that prayer at the end of the service about asking Jesus in your heart, I prayed that, and I've become a Christian. And, and I want to know what it means to live for Jesus Christ. It was very soon thereafter, he was uh, diagnosed with mesothelioma. Apparently, when he was in the Marine Corps, scraping some asbestos, it, finally caught up to him but the last six months of your life what you may not know is Steve McQueen spent time telling people about his new faith in Jesus Christ how he had been forgiven three days before he died he was visited by Billy Graham he put out the word I would love for Dr. Graham to come visit with me and Billy Graham came and visited with Steve McQueen and they spent a couple hours talking and McQueen wanted to know Kim this forgiveness in heaven he, he knows he's near the end and they prayed together and when he left Billy Graham left him his bible And he inscribed on the inside, to my friend Steve McQueen, may God bless you and keep you always. That was November 3rd, 1980. Four days later, November 7th, 1980, Steve McQueen was found lying in bed dead. But he was, by his family's testimony, his wife at that time and the people there, he's lying in bed and what he's clutching to his breast is the Bible that Billy Graham gave him. You know what that man learned? He learned this. There's nothing in this world that's going to fill the hole in the center of your heart. And when death comes, when death comes, all you've got to hang on to is the message of this book. Listen, some of you got an old life to leave today. I mean, you've got an old life to leave today. And you need a new Lord to serve and a new life to live. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. No one looking up, no one looking around. Lisa's going to come. Listen carefully to the preacher. We're about to have our invitation. I want to say a couple of things. First of all, some of you here are lost and you know it and you know you don't know Jesus Christ. And when we describe the futile thinking and the lies that other people tell us, the lies you've told yourself, you said, that's me. That's me. Listen, there's freedom in Jesus. I'm not telling you that every problem you have in life will go away when you give your life to Christ. But I can absolutely promise you, you will never face another problem alone and you can live in victory in Jesus. Christians have problems just like everybody else, but we have the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm inviting you to come, and there are uh, ministers and staff members here at the church that will pray with you, and we'll take time. We're not going to be in a rush. They're going to take you aside and share with you what it means to follow Jesus and to make sure that you understand clearly. So I'm inviting you to come. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm inviting you, I mean, today. Don't put it off another day. If the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart right now, you better listen. Listen to him and come today and believe on Jesus. Some of you have been saved. You know that, but you have not been obedient to the Lord in baptism. Just like these two young people were this morning. So tenderly, faithfully following Jesus. And there's some of you, you're 40 and you're 50 and you're 60 and you've never been obedient as these two young people were this morning. And you need to today. And I'm inviting you to come. 
Some of you, you know this is the church God has led you to, and you need to unite with us. Listen, we are incomplete until you join with us to reach Wichita, that everyone in Wichita might hear the gospel. And we need you. And we're inviting you to come. I'm going to pray, and after I'm done praying, we're going to stand and sing, and while they're singing, you come. Every aisle in here leads right to the front. You come. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for men and women and boys and girls to be saved. And I'm praying that they would know the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. And I'm praying that you change lives now and today. Do it, Jesus. We know you can. Father, we love you. And we're asking you to give someone a new life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good morning. It is such a great way to start off a worship service with baptism. And I want to introduce you today to Aubrey Oaks. Baptism is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But the idea that I get to baptize my daughter today uh, makes me so proud. Uh, If there's any friends, family that are here today, I want you to be able to stand with her. Anyone that's taught her in life group, uh, would you stand with Aubrey uh, as, as she publicly stands up to say, I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I want to be baptized. Thank you. Aubrey, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Upon that profession of faith, I baptize you, my daughter and my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. And we have another baptism today. Joey Castillo is going to be joining us here. If you know Joey, go ahead and stand up if you would. If you know Joey, if you are a friend of Joey's or a family member or if you're part of his life group or uh, you know him from the church, would you just stand at this time, please? And in honor of the decision that both Joey and Aubrey made, if everyone would stand at this time and join us as we celebrate both of these baptisms. So, Joey, I want to ask you, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? All right. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Very good. We have our graduates that we are so proud of. Uh, they have sat through many years of teaching, and uh, we want to introduce them. Now, listen, I want to do this a little bit different maybe than we've done it in the past. Uh, I'm going to, and the seniors did not know about this, but I'm going to put up a baby picture. And not, not, not as a church, I don't want anyone screaming out, hey, I think that's who, this person. But just, just with the people around you, I want you to take a second and maybe whisper to them, I think that's this one, or I think that's that. So now's your chance. A little bit of trivia. You kind of whisper around, and as, as that happens, she's now going to pop out and 
I'm going to let you know it is Savannah Farney. Savannah is graduating from Valley Center High School. Uh, she was in VC Friendship Club, FCA Soccer, uh, Art Gold Key, and Drama Club. Here is a gift for you. Um, She will be getting a dual degree uh, in Manhattan Christian College and Kansas State Interior Design. And when I asked her to finish this sentence, IBC has taught me, Emmanuel has taught me to be a servant. She talked about uh, kind of being forced to serve as a child or volunteered as a, from her parents. Um, but then she realized that she enjoys helping others and serving the people in Emmanuel. Uh, she said serving others showed her how much people in Emmanuel do for others. And she saw value uh, in volunteering to lightening the load for other people that have so much on their plate. Savannah Farney. Now we have another photo. Another chance for you to whisper and say, I think I know who that is. That is Bailey Spencer. I even heard people saying it. Bailey Spencer. She is graduating from Berean Academy. And uh, she was the treasurer on a committee called the Christian Action her senior year. Uh, she's taken an internship at AFLAC. Uh, through all the summer and possibly attending attending college depending on how that internship lands we have a little Thank gift for you, you. yes and Emmanuel has taught her that God can work in anyone's life at any stage of their life Bailey Spencer let's celebrate all right so we have another one any guesses man you guys are good all right Malachi Castillo come on out Malachi is graduating from Newton High School. Uh, he's fixing to go to Hutch Community, uh, majoring in fire science. That's, that's an amazing one, fire science. Uh, Emmanuel has taught him that you can still learn things no matter how many times you hear the same story. Uh, Malachi, here's a gift for you. We celebrate you, Malachi. And then last but not least this year, Oh, uh, here's some people that know it. Come on out, Zachariah Talbert. He's graduating from Northeast Magnet High School. He was the first chair cellist, uh, second chair, uh, second place in statewide duck stamp. I'm going to have to ask you what that means later, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, he's going to plan, uh, plans to attend Wichita State University and major in music education. Uh, he said, Emmanuel taught him to stay strong in his relationship with Christ no matter what circumstances are thrown his way and to wait patiently for what God has planned for his life. Here is a gift, and we celebrate you, Zachariah Talbert. Once again, our graduating senior class of 2018.